Chapter Two of The Shadow of a Sin by Bertha M. Clay. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two Sir Arthur and Lady Vaughan lived at Queen's Chase in Derbyshire, a beautiful and picturesque place known to artists, poets, and lovers of quaint old architecture. Queen's Chase had been originally built by good Queen Elizabeth of York, and was perhaps one of the few indulgences which that not too happy queen allowed herself. It was large, and the rooms were all lofty. The building was in the old Tudor style, and one of its peculiarities was that every part of it was laden with ornament. It seemed to have been the great ambition of the architect who designed it, to introduce as much carving as possible about it. Heads of fawns and satires, fruit and flowers, every variety of carving was there, no matter where the spectator turned, the sculptor's work was visible. To Hyacinth Vaughan, dreamy and romantic, it seemed as though the chase were peopled by these dull, silent, dark figures. Elizabeth of York did not enjoy much pleasure in the retreat she had built for herself. It was there she first heard of, and rejoiced in the betrothal of her fair young daughter Marguerite to James the Fourth of Scotland. A few years afterwards she died, and the chase was sold. Sir Dunstan Vaughan purchased it, and it had remained in the family ever since. It was now their principal residence. The Vaughans of Queen's Chase never quitted it. Though it was picturesque, it was not the most cheerful place in the world. The rooms were dark by reason of the huge carvings of the window frames, and the shade of the trees, which last, perhaps, grew too near the house. The edifice contained no light. Cheerful sunny rooms, no wide large windows, the taste of the days in which it was built led more towards magnificence than cheerfulness. Some additions had been made, the western wing of the building had been enlarged, but the principal apartments had remained unaltered. The stately gloomy rooms in which the fair young princess had received and read the royal love letters were almost untouched. The tall spreading trees grew almost to the hall door. They made the whole house dark and perhaps unhealthy but no Vaughan ventured to cut them down. Such an action would have seemed like a sacrilege. From father to son, Queen's Chase had descended in regular succession. Sir Arthur, the present owner, succeeded when he was quite young. He was by no means of the genial order of men. He had always been cold, silent, and reserved. He married a lady more proud, more silent, more reserved than himself, a narrow-minded, narrow-hearted woman, whose life was bounded by rigid law and formal courtesies, who never knew a warm or generous impulse, who lived quite outside the beautiful fairyland of love and poetry. Sir Arthur and Lady Vaughan had but one son, and though each idolised him, they could not change their nature. Warm, sweet impulses never came to them. The mother kissed her boy by rule at stated times. Everything was measured, dated, and weighed. The boy himself was, strange to say, of a most hopeful, ardent, sanguine temperament, generous, high-spirited, slightly inclined to romance and sentiment. He loved and honoured his father and mother, but the rigid formality of home was terrible to him. It was almost like death in life. Partly to escape it, and partly because he really liked the life, he insisted on joining the army, much against Lady Vaughan's wishes. "'Why could he not be content at home, as his father had been before him?' she asked. 
Captain Randall Vaughan enjoyed his brief military career. As a matter of course, he fell in love, but far more sensibly than might have been imagined. He married the pretty, delicate Claire Brandon. She was an orphan, not very rich, in fact had only a moderate fortune, but her birth atoned for all. She was a lineal descendant of the famous Brandon, Duke of Suffolk, whom the fair young ex-Queen of France had married. Lady Vaughan was delighted. A little more money might have been acceptable, but the Vaughans had plenty, and there was no young lady in England better born and better bred than Claire Brandon. So the young captain married her, and Sir Arthur made them a very handsome allowance. For one whole year they lived in perpetual sunshine, as happy as they could possibly be, and then came an outbreak in our eastern possessions, and the captain's regiment was ordered abroad. It was like a death-blow to them. Despite all danger, Mrs. Vaughan would have gone with her husband, but for the state of her health, which absolutely forbade it. Her despair was almost terrible. It seemed as if she had a presentiment of the coming cloud. If the war had not been a dangerous one, the young captain would most certainly have sold out, but to do so, when every efficient soldier was required, would have been to show the white feather, and that no Vaughan could do. The motto of the house was, Loyal even to death. He tried all possible means to console his wife, but she only clung to him with passionate cries, saying she would never see him again. It was impossible to leave her alone, and she had no near relatives. Then Lady Vaughan came to the rescue. The heir of the Vaughan, she declared, must be born at Queen's Chase. Therefore her son's wife had better remain with her. Randall Vaughan thankfully accepted his mother's offer, and took his wife to the old ancestral home. It was arranged that she should remain there until his return. "'You will try for my sake to be well and happy,' he said to her, "'so that when I come back she will be strong and able to travel with me should I have to go abroad again.' But she clasped her tender arms around him, and hid her weeping face on his breast. "'I shall never see you again, my darling,' she said. "'Never again!' They called the unconsciousness that came over her merciful. She remembered nothing after those words. When she opened her eyes again, he was gone. How the certainty of her doom seemed to grow upon her, how her sweet face grew paler, and the frail remnant of vitality grew less. He had been her life, the very sun and centre of her existence. How could she exist without him? Lady Vaughan, in her kind, formal way, tried to cheer her, and begged of her to make an effort for Randall's sake, and for Randall's sake the poor lady tried to live. They were disappointed in one respect. It was not an heir that was born to the noble old race, but a lovely, smiling baby girl, so lovely that Lady Vaughan, who was seldom guilty of sentiment, declared that it resembled nothing so much as a budding flower, and after a flower she said it must be named. They suggested rose, violet, lily. None of them pleased her, but looking one day through the family record, she saw the name of Lily Hyacinth Vaughan. Hyacinth it must be. The poor, fragile mother smiled a feeble assent, and the lovely baby received its name. Glowing accounts were sent to the young captain. End of chapter 2